and welcome back to another FACT podcast. I'm Dr. Fred Clary, founder of Functional Analysis Chiropractic Technique, a chiropractic technique based on movement and breathing. Well, today is a podcast by special request. There's been many doctors, including uh, Dr. Randy from Nebraska, screaming for this podcast. And I'm just going to do a little introduction, a little introduction on the subject. If you've been watching the news, everyone is up in arms about the Delta variant of COVID-19. This is a mutation that makes the, uh, the bug more contagious. It actually binds tighter to the ACE2 receptor because we have an amino acid um, a transposition and uh, change. Um, it's added an isoleucine or a leucine um, into its uh, S-spike protein, kicked out um, another amino acid, and it just binds tighter. It changes the structure of that uh, S-spike. And, of course, I predicted this a year and a half ago in every biology book and every article on PubMed on viral mutations and adaptations have uh, talked about this. And again, I, I, I almost threw um, my TV table, my phone and remote at the TV the other day when I heard some health care official, of course, it was some, you know, government official that uh, blaming those that are unjabbed, the non-vaccinated um, for the mutations. And I almost screamed, and it was early in the morning, about 5.30, 6 o'clock. And I, I really, you know, my blood pressure went too high, and I got to watch it, and I'm going to get bleeding ulcer again. I just I just got to get calmed down about this. But I, I thought I'd start on the subject on this podcast on selective pressure and some basic biological terms and concepts, tenets, that are not only totally testable, but are totally accepted in the entire scientific biologic um, sphere. When I say selective pressure, every good biologist knows what that is, whether they have a four-year degree, a master's degree, PhD. Hell, if you, you know, read some, uh, you know, middle school biology, um, as my uh, brother-in-law said on Facebook, you understand this. But I'm going to walk you through it slowly. What I want to explain to you is that the misinformation on the uh, major news is 180 degrees wrong from the biology textbook you may have at home from high school because you forgot to return it and you stole it, though you didn't read it. Um, so let me explain, you know, natural selection, um, evolution biological fitness, selective pressure, um, evolutionary pressure is a different, uh, another term for it. So one of the, the main concepts of biology, and I always say when I teach, I always say it's, it's one of the first laws of biology. Um, not true, I say that tongue in cheek, but it, it is a law that, or at least accepted as law, um, the, the, the theory of evolution. Okay, now the theory of evolution, and I know that's an oxymoron to say it's a law and a theory, and some people get up in arms, and look, I'm not going to 
argue with the English people here. I'm trying to explain how, you know, phylogenetically we're going to get um, some changes in a genome due to the environment and how quick it can happen with an RNA positive virus. That's what I'm trying to explain. So you guys are going to go off on this term or that term, you know, uh, you know, you know, go pound sand. I don't have time for you. Um, you're just looking for an argument and, you know, you're coming to a, a gunfight with a knife. It ain't going to work. So let's talk about selective pressure, biological fitness, terms of evolution. So what good old Charles Darwin said over 100 years ago is that over time, organisms change to match their environment so they can survive. Survival of the fittest. Fittest for the environment. That's what it means. Fittest for the environment. So that biological fitness, okay, that's not a term that you get at planet um, fat ass, I mean planet fitness. Um, the biological fitness means can the organism survive in its current environment? Is it fit for biological um, behaviors, meaning reproduction, um, you know, survival, you know, running its metabolic processes, development. So is it fit for that? What Darwin had noticed, and I, you know, of course, all of you have read, you know, Origin of the Species, you know, and there's some great archaic language in it. And if you haven't read it, you shouldn't argue with anyone who has. Please don't, because you're not qualified. Okay, you're not qualified to have a biological talk if you haven't read the basic, you know, foundational textbooks of biology, no matter how old they are. Just like I, I am so tired of someone trying to tell me about how a virus works and they've never read, you know, the 2000 um, pages of fields, um, t you know, texts on biology, uh, virology. So if you haven't read fields, He's the main editor. He didn't write all the chapters. That's not how scientific uh, textbooks, especially biological textbooks, work. Everyone contributes. So the experts in the field write a different chapter. But if you haven't read that, those two textbooks, and I think they got it down to one textbook now, if you haven't read it, um, please don't even have an argument about this. I love talking about talking to the neighbor who runs a jackhammer. God bless it. I've run those too. But he's going to tell me, you know, how a virus works. You know, someone who's a contractor, a general contractor, God bless it. I can't put together a building or a school. But, you know, don't tell me how the variations of glycoproteins work outside um, a virus shell. Don't even get into that argument. And that includes MDs who can quote the, the generic name and the brand name of 10 different medications used for high blood pressure and why they would use them. But they haven't looked under a scanning EM on how these viruses look and their structures. They couldn't even tell me the structure of COVID-19 two years or a COVID virus um, two years ago. In fact, if you asked most of your medical doctors and GPs, you know, you know, what percentage of upper respiratory infections in the world are caused by coronaviruses, they couldn't tell you. It's 25 to 30%. And at that time, it was mainly, you know, NL63, HKU1, um, OC43, those three. And 
knowing that is a big deal. Having a label for that virus that you have when you go into the doctor and they tell you, Ooh, you have some virus for this hacky cough you have. Well, no. Do I have, if I'm an adult, RSVB? Do I have rhinovirus? Or do I have one of the three coronaviruses? Be good to know. Or, do, you know, do I have some type of influenza? It'd be good to know that, you know, versus a bacterial infection. But, of course, they never told you because, of course, they, they don't think you're educated enough. Well, I'm about to educate you guys on some basic biology. What good old Chucky Darwin said is that organisms have to adapt in order to procreate, you know, to pass on that. And those organisms that have the structures or behaviors that help them survive in the environment get to pass those traits on to their progeny. So in other words, he was talking, he was looking at, you know, certain birds, for example, and he noticed that, you know, the flowers in this area, um, they were very deep, you know, very, very much like uh, you would need the beak of a hummingbird to get to the nectar. And he noticed that only those birds that had the longer beaks survived and that that must have come over time. And it's true. So what happened in the environment that those who by a mutation, by random chance, had a longer beak, they got to pass on that trait over and over and over again. So those traits are passed on, okay? And that, you know, when you're talking a bird, you're talking several months for a generation. For a human, you're talking 25 years, right? A good 25 years to get another generation out, we would hope. Um, you know, I got teen, teenage daughters, and I definitely wanted it 25 or 30 years. That's a joke. So evolution says that everything adapts to the environment for the benefit of the organism. Okay? So that organism will continue to change. It wants to survive. It will adapt specifically to specific things. We were talking about the shape of a flower and the length of a bird's beak. Okay, that flower shape and structure to get the nectar out of it, to get the food out of it, is a selective, very small pressure put on the organism to either adapt or die. I love to say biology is so easy. Okay, it, it's, it's real easy. When a new pressure comes on you, it's mad. You either migrate, adapt, or die. Okay, you migrate to an area where your behaviors and your body structures allow you to survive. Migrate, M. A, adapt, you know, figure out a way to make it work, even with your structures, or you die. Biology is easy. And when we're looking at viruses, we're talking hours instead of months and years for a generation. Hours. I'll say it again. Hours maybe days on some of these viruses. But in a week, you could have seven generations running. Do you understand what I'm saying? So if you have a selective pressure, if the environment changes than what it's usually used to, then it has to adapt pretty good. And if you minimize the amount of changes needed for migrate, adapt, or die, for adaptation, then that selective pressure is small.
There's not that many pressures on it. So when yeah, the average OC43, which is still around, goes around, and you get that coronavirus, not only, and you survive the infection, not only do you have antibodies to all of its glycoproteins, not just the S spikes, but all of the glycoproteins, you have antibodies to pieces of the viral shell, pieces of the capsid that go around the genome, which is RNA, and probably pieces of the RNA. Now, do you understand what I'm saying? That you, when you get the wild-type infection, I'll say OC43 or COVID-1 or COVID-19, okay, SARS-1, SARS-2, your body chops it up. Your T-cells become potentiated or have learned to um, recognize all of the coronavirus, just not the S-spike, all of it, pieces of it. It can recognize the entire picture, even if the puzzle pieces are broken apart. That's what our natural immunity does. Well, that's what happened to SARS-1. SARS-1, which did kill people, came out. It was really hard on the weak and in the frail, the at-risk, and people did die. But because we didn't shut things down, we didn't put on masks, we didn't do all this crazy mitigation, we didn't try to find um, genetic therapy or an mRNA vaccine which specifically only produces antibodies to one part of the virus, not the entire thing broken up. It does not potentiate your T cells as well as the natural wild type virus, right? We already know that. So you get antibodies to one goddamn thing, one part of it. Now, again, this spike's important because that's how it binds. But we know from SARS-1 that there's other binding sites. And like there's a lectin binding site. There's another binding site where you get um, viral shell to cell membrane contact. And that will cause the, uh, the coronavirus to go in, the SARS-1, which is the cousin of COVID-19 pretty close cousins, so its behaviors are very similar. Um, the only difference is that SARS-2 or COVID-19 binds tighter to that ACE2 receptor. So Fred, what are you saying? Well, we have now selectively pressured the COVID to get a stronger binding S protein. See, with SARS-1, we chopped that thing up because we didn't do much. It went into the environment, and the young people with strong immune systems still had thymus glands. They got a little cough. They got a little cold, and they chopped the hell out of it up, and they learned how to take care of that SARS virus. There were too many multiple pressures, too many multiple selective pressures on the virus for it to adapt quickly enough. Oh, I gotta, I gotta change my S spike. No, I gotta change this spike. There's other glycospikes on there. I have to change, you know, the makeup of my uh, viral shell. I gotta make change the makeup of the capsid inside that. I gotta change some of the other binding proteins on my surface that I use. It, it's just too many changes that have to be done when your own immune system in its natural state attacks a, a, a coronavirus, chops it up into pieces, potentiates the T cells, activates your complement system, and produces some antibodies to all the pieces of it. Whew. So what does that mean? Is that complicated? No, I don't think it's complicated at all. You know, 
if someone says, I'm going to go to a steakhouse, and you go to the steakhouse, and all you do is get the steak, that's okay. That's one part of it. But the other part could be the potatoes, the vegetables, having a nice conversation, whatever beverages you have with it, the desserts, the salad beforehand. There's more pieces to a meal than just the steak. Now, if you get the steak, you're going to live. You get protein, you'll probably get ripped because, you know, you'll be low-carb and you're, you'll burn some fat. But that's not the steakhouse experience. And our immune system, all three parts of it, wants the full experience. And it just doesn't want to selectively pressure an enemy with one thing. Our immune system is designed to take the whole goddamn organism out. The bacteria, the fungus, the virus. And over millions of years, billions for life, one billion for life, but over millions of years, 40 million for mammals and an active adaptive immune system. Other creatures have passive immune systems. We don't have time to discuss that. But our active immune system has been around for 40 million years and has learned to adapt and change and beat the hell out of these things. Just not the S-spike, but the capsid, the shell. Hell, it'll beat up the RNA. And the virus, if it's not strong enough, can't adapt. It can't mutate. It can't create variants. Now, some of the flu variants that have changed over time, you get that. We talked about, I talked about, you know, some of the transpositional changes and that over time there's copying errors and that we get, you know, we get some changes that way, some mutations. But those are slow mutations that usually don't make the bug too contagious. And if it does become contagious, it's get knocked down again. SARS-1 disappeared out of the human population and returned back into its original host, the bat, because our immune systems beat the hell out of COVID-19's cousin. It did kill a few, killed too many, but it did. But all viruses have that potential. All viruses have that potential to the weak, the sick, and it's a shame. It's horrible. But weaken your immune systems do that. Everyone's talking about this variant. There's going to be another variant once something comes out with that. But those people that are just producing antibodies to the S-spike, to the original, the original version of the COVID-19, your immunity is going to be a little weaker to the Delta. And it's going to continue to be weaker because you gave COVID-19 the opportunity to have one selective pressure. Just the S-spike. It just has to change that. If I get COVID-19 or the Delta variant, I'm going to beat the hell out of all of it. It's not going to get out of my system unscathed. I'm going to look like, you know, I'm going to look like Conor McGregor with a busted tibia and fib. You know, high ankle fracture. Ooh, that was nasty. Is that too soon? Is that too soon, anybody? No, but seriously, if you weaken 
the bug and you keep putting selective pressure. Well, if it wants to survive, it's got to change its S-spike. If it wants to survive, it's got to change its um, capsid. If it wants to survive, it's going to have to change its viral shell. If it wants to survive, it's going to ch change its genome because we can recognize some of those free-floating negative sense or positive sense RNA strands. What? I even started some of the structural proteins that hold the thing together that we can recognize some of the enzymes inside the shell which are just basically proteins as enzymes are. Could you imagine a wild type bug having four or five things to do? Sorry, viruses aren't good multitaskers. They're just not. Okay, sorry, they're not single moms or dads. They can't multitask. But all we did was give it one thing to change so it can get stronger. I don't know. In my life, if you only gave me one challenge... You better look out, because I'm going to knock it down. And guess what? That's what happened. The variants will continue, and as long as you only give that bug one challenge, it will continue to adapt and continue to get stronger. Thank God there's still a population unjabbed, because they're beating the heck out of this thing, and hopefully we'll beat it down. Again, well, Fred, what should we do? You know? You could do a traditional vaccine. Oh, they don't work very well with coronaviruses. Yeah, of course, because they adapt too quick. But chop up the whole thing. That's too expensive. You're right. And the safety is very bad. Most of the animal tests did not work out well. Allow our T cells to go after that. That's what we need is T cell activity on this thing. Not antibodies. T cells. Fred, how do we strengthen our T cells? Sunshine, vitamin D, good diet, vitamins and minerals, all that stuff's been written about. It's all out there. So what are you going to do? Are you just going to give the virus one little thing to change and allow it to get stronger? I don't know. If all I had to do was power lift and not have to teach, not have to run a business, not have to be a father, not have to be a husband. My goodness, if all I had to do was lift, I'd be one of the strongest men in the world. But that's not my life. I have many things on my plates. I have multiple selective pressures. And I adapt the best I can. But if I only had one challenge, one challenge to deal with, we're already seeing what happens in biology when you simplify things for the virus to adapt to its prey, which is us. Well, which is some of you, not me. And this has been another fact podcast. 